Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, Tony Oliazzi joins us on the Autosport Podcast. Hey, it's Martin here from the podcast team, just dropping in to introduce today's podcast, which was recorded just a couple of days ago. Today, we are joined by Tonio Liuzzi. What better way to get into the mood for an Italian Grand Prix at Monza than a famous Italian who has raced there and raced for the likes of Red Bull back in the day when they were first starting out. Toro Rosso, also Force India, famously, and HRT as well, talking of famous incidents that famous turn one crash which took out Nico Rosberg also the various events which he thinks stopped him from rising up to be a team leader in the main Red Bull seat while Yotzi credits Michael Schumacher as the key to his early success his best lap around Monza and why the 2010 year the year of the so-called F-duct was the year that he drove most of the season with just one hand on the wheel uh, recounting some fabulous stories from his career in Formula 1 and looking forward to this weekend Interviewing Tonio is Jonathan Noble, and I'll hand you over to James Newbold. Today I'm joined by two special guests. The first is an Italian driver who started his home Grand Prix five times between 2006 and 2011 with three different teams, before going on to race in the World Endurance Championship, Super GT and Formula E. It's with Antonio Liuzzi. Welcome, Tonio. Thank you. Nice to, nice to see you. And the second guest is Jonathan Noble, who covered Tonio in Formula One at the time. Um, and I guess the first time you would have encountered him would be back in 2002 at the Macau Grand Prix. Yeah, I think so. I mean, hi, hi, Tonio. Because hi, hi, um, Macau, I've, Macau, I've done or tried to do, obviously it's not happening with COVID times, but try to do it just to try and kind of meet a lot of the, the young rising hotshots coming up. I don't remember much of 2002, but I think at the time, Tony had beaten Michael Schumacher to that karting world championship. You know, Macau's such a such a big race. And I, although it wasn't, I think, one of his one of his best weekends in terms of results, I think it's always a great, great experience racing Macau, isn't it? I, I think it's one of the races you can never forget. I only managed to make it uh, once, uh, and it was really shocking experience. Because Macau is a really unique circuit. I was coming from uh, quite a competitive uh, season in Formula 3, in the German Formula 3. And uh, when I arrived to Macau and I saw the circuit, I said, wow, it was really incredible. Because you cannot expect it to, uh, to go against something like that. Because there's no Monaco in, com- in comparison uh, to Macau that can be uh, affordable. Because Macau is really unique. It's really scary when you drive even with a with a Formula 3 that is much slower than a Formula 1. But I have to say that uh, it was an incredible experience. Uh, I was unlucky that weekend because I crashed in the first session. It was also a bit of my mistake because I wanted to to show off uh, directly in the first session. And uh, Macau didn't uh, uh, didn't let me do it because <laughs> uh, I, I, I kissed the wall and I 
I didn't manage to do the first session and that's why all the remaining part of the race was a climbing up in the in terms of speed and in the last final I, I recovered from last to P8 uh, with really good lap time but in Macau you need every single lap you can achieve to prepare it and uh, unfortunately it was the only time I made it uh, but it's always something that uh, when it's happening I always like to go and see because even to watch other people racing there it's just incredible Macau will always stay one of my favorite uh, event uh, in career. And from one high speed, ultra high speed track to another, Macau to Monza, coming up this weekend. Tony, what, what's it? What's it like to race at your home Grand Prix? Because everybody knows the the the, the passion of the Italian fans, the Ferrari fans, known as the Tifosi. Um, we've just seen that the Dutch Grand Prix fans um, give them a good run for their money last weekend in terms of uh, enthusiastic appreciation of their local drivers. But what was your experiences like of, of racing in front of your home fans and particularly on the Monza track, uh, a, a, a super high-speed circuit, um, unlike many others on the calendar that you have to pretty much have a, a bespoke Monza downforce setup for? I, I have to say that racing in front of your own crowd is uh, something just uh, incredible. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, to start uh, racing my Formula 1 career uh, in Imola. Obviously, it was not Monza, but it was still my uh, home race. Uh, and it was uh, just amazing. When you see the fan cheering for you, uh, it's, uh, it's really an extra power that uh, you cannot uh, have in any other uh, uh, competition. And I, I can't believe for Max last week was ch something just incredible to have the full circuit cheering for you. And you really have an extra boost because even if you, you when you're driving, you don't hear them. Uh, maybe now with this new engine, you can also hear the crowd uh, screaming because <laughs> they are much, uh, much less noisy compared to my ones. But uh, it's a really an, an extra boost. Uh, it's really incredible to have to see all the, the spectators standing and uh, screaming for you. And it's really amazing. Plus in Monza, that is uh, left uh, the only one uh, really temple of speed because uh, you really have long straight everywhere, uh, old school corners. And even with the setup, you have to go with a completely different style compared to all the other circuit. And the car is definitely floating uh, in all the corners because you have much less grip compared to all the other circuits. Uh, circuit due to the downforce because you always you use uh, less front and rear wing so obviously the car is uh, moving a lot more but uh, it's really an amazing uh, feeling unique and especially when you go through Ascari and Parabolica is uh, something really challenging uh, and it seems like not a difficult track because you only have uh, basically seven corners overall but it's really technical and really difficult to go fast. It's certainly a unique circuit and you'd probably only say that on the current calendar maybe spa um is like it with the flat out blast up to up the camel straight john what's it like covering grand prix at monza i've, I've only ever been there for, for endurance racing rather than, than formula one but what's the atmosphere like when when the ferraris are in town and uh all the tifosi are out in force Amazing place. My my first ever foreign Formula One race I worked at was Monza in uh, 1992. So the, the famous weekend when Mansell announced his retirement and all this, the Grand Theatre in the paddock. And I think it's a weekend of kind of Grand Theatre everywhere. You've got the fans outside of Monza. Um, you've got the, the you know the crazy fans outside the paddock. The paddock itself is is just buzzing. I think it's a busier paddock normally than anywhere else. As friends come in and guests come in, and the sponsors are there. The police turn up in, in force to try to get in the paddock and get their shots with Ferrari. Um, you've got the amazing atmosphere around the track. Um, the media car park is in the middle of a bunch of trees and gets hugely muddy. But you don't, you don't particularly mind all these bad aspects because it's all this kind, this kind of magical thing. And, you know, there are stuff that happens at Monza that doesn't happen anywhere else. You go to the grid in Monza, for example, and you've got to go through the pit wall. And every year there will be an argument between... Um, the F1 officials and people trying to work their way onto the grid, whether it's policemen, whether it's local politicians, or there's always these huge fights to try and get onto the grid for Monza. So I just just think it's a magic, magical place. And I also like the contrast sometimes between when you walk in the mornings on a race weekend and the fans are packed outside the paddock, there's a little walkway the drivers have to go through and they all get mobbed by drivers. And then in the evenings when it's all died down, I try, try to do a track run sometimes and you run out to the back of the circuit 
through the Lesmos and that, that dip down under the bridge to Ascari and it's completely quiet, completely still. And you can just imagine, you know, this has been the theatre for Formula One for decades. Just a great, great place. Tony, what's the best lap that you've ever driven around Monza? Because you, you've driven it in, in V10 Formula One cars and in V8 Formula One cars. Are there any particularly special laps that you look back on and think, wow, that was an incredible experience? Definitely my comeback in 2009 when uh, Fisichella got uh, the spot in Ferrari after the amazing race he made uh, with Force India in Spa. Uh, he got promoted uh, to Ferrari uh, for uh, the Monza race and I jumped in uh, for uh, the racing seat after uh, uh, one year, one and a half year of uh, not driving uh, in a race. And I have to say that it was uh, really incredible. As, you, as we said before, in front of your own crowd, uh, race there, I had definitely an extra boost because I really wanted to show that uh, I deserved that seat. And in qualify, I did a mega lap. But I remember kind of in an unfortunate way that uh, Vijay Malia, our boss, uh, before my Q3 uh, session, at that time we used to uh, start qualify with the fuel we had to start for uh, in the race. Uh, so VJ said uh, to me via radio, uh, Tonio, I want you to go on a single stop strategy. So I had to put a lot of fuel for a single stop strategy, and that would have screwed kind of, uh, in a way, my my uh, potential uh, first role uh, qualify because we had a really fast car. And in fact, I had a mega lap. I was uh, much faster than my teammate Sutil until Ascari. But because he was then with, uh, I remember, 40 kilos less uh, fuel than in Ascari and Parabolica, he managed to end up in uh, P2. Uh, but my, my lap time, fuel corrected, he would have been a potential pole position. So uh, it was a, a really an amazing feeling uh, to, to, uh, to drive a fast car and fight for uh, you know, a top position in the qualifier, because I always had uh, decent car, good cars, but uh, never good enough for uh, a pole position. And that uh, was an amazing feeling. was a shame that uh, my team boss decided uh, to put me on a single stop strategy, because uh, when you start in the first role, it's always magic. But uh, you know, I had to accept that. Uh, it was my boss. And... Uh, I ended up a P7, still was pretty good, and uh, we really enjoyed the race. Would have been a really uh, good possibility for the podium. Then it didn't end up that way, and was a really big shame. That's a race that we'll go on to talk about a little bit later in the podcast, Tonio, okay. uh, a potential turning point in your career, that one. But before we go into your career, it's worth noti- notifying people that actually your situation compared to a lot of the Red Bull juniors, was was quite different because you had your own manager and Peter Collins who um, had previously run Team Lotus, where most of the drivers that were on the Red Bull program were directly managed by um, Helmut Marko and co. Um, so why did you have this arrangement and what advantages did it bring you throughout your Formula 1 journey? I have to say that I think uh, everything started uh, thankful to Michael Schumacher because when he came uh, to race uh, with us uh, in uh, Kerpen, in his own track, uh, in go-kart, in the go-kart world championship that uh, I won, uh, basically my name became really famous uh, worldwide because uh, I've been uh, the most famous uh, go-kart world champion in history. Uh, thankful to uh, to Michael Schumacher that came and raced with us. And I think that uh, uh, starts to put my name in the spotlight of uh, Red Bull. Uh, then after seven months, Jonathan uh, Williams and Sir Frank, they offered me a test in, the, in, the, in that amazing Williams that was driven by Montoya and uh, Ralph. Uh, and was my first uh, ever Formula One test, and I think that was interesting and putting a lot of of, uh, of interest uh, on Red Bull uh, and Dr. Marco uh, on me. And even though if I was uh, separated from the Austrian, let's say, world of uh, motorsport that was linked to Dr. Marco, uh, then we definitely find a, a nice uh, agreement because Dr. Marco was uh, always a straight person to me. Really, he always uh, loved my way of uh, being really 110% every single lap. I think that's what he liked in drivers, because we see also in Max that that uh, <laughs> has been kind of uh, 
this style when he started Formula One. And I think uh, Dr. Marco, uh, I remember he decided to sign me after my first test in Pannonia Ring with a Formula 3000 car. And uh, there was a corner that uh, nobody ever tried to do it flat. And with my Formula 3000 that they gave me, I managed to do it flat, spin, do a 360 and go straight again. And, and I remember he said, hmm, this guy has balls. And I think that was, uh, <laughs> the, was uh, the, let's say, the fire on Dr. Marco's head to, 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 to show that I had no, no fear of anything. I was always driving uh, 110%, trying to achieve the maximum out of the car. So I was a little bit different from uh, the standards of uh, Red Bull uh, Junior uh, Academy. But uh, it started pretty, pretty well. It was a shame that after uh, uh, we had to stop our partnership, but was not uh, due to Dr. Marco or Mr. Matisic. Uh, I had a big disagreement with uh, Gerhard Berger, that was the part owner of uh, Toro Rosso in 2007. And it didn't work, because uh, uh, if it was for me or, uh, or Dr. Marco, I think we would have uh, still worked together. We don't know where, if in Formula One or other category, but it uh, was a shame, because I always feel Red Bull as my family. And in fact, you're still involved with the Red Bull family now in, in esports racing for, for Alpha Tauri in, in F1 esports. And of course, you made your, your F1 debut in 2005, as you mentioned before, uh, at Imola. Um, the, the team had taken over from, from Jaguar that had um, run previously in 2004. It was part of a rideshare agreement with Christian Kleen, who'd driven for the team and the Jaguar guys the year before. Um, as you dominated the Formula 3000 championship in 2004 with, with nine poles from ten races, it must have been pretty frustrating for you to only get the four race outings in 2005. Why do you think that it was that, that Christian Kleon got to do the lion's share of races and how did that impact your momentum to have most of that season limited to Friday outings? I always think that I've been a fair driver and a fair person. Uh, that's why when uh, the team uh, decided to... Uh, uh, to keep Christian uh, as a um, uh, race driver, I, I, I clearly understood. I think it was fair enough because he had already a couple of years of experience with the Jaguar. And uh, even though I was, uh, how can you say, an uprising uh, star from coming from Formula 3000, I think uh, the experience that uh, Christian had was uh, pretty good. He showed good performance as well. And uh, the system that uh, Red Bull decided to, to use at the beginning uh, by sharing uh, the seat between me and Christian, basically four races uh, him, four races me, uh, and then back uh, for the whole season, would not have worked. Uh, basically, after uh, the first eight rounds, we sat all together with Mati Schitz and Dr. Marco, and we decided together to stop this uh, swap because it was uh, creating... Uh, uh, inconsistency in all the the team basically and even for me or Christian was not uh, useful and that's why obviously for Christian experience that he had already a couple of years in Formula One we, I decided to step back, back and uh, Mr. Matic it's already had in his uh, program to buy a second team and when he decided to buy uh, Minardi he, he promised to me he said uh, we, we will do a a full package Italian team with an Italian team, Italian driver uh, calling Toro Rosso. So the project was really interesting to me and I would have been the first driver and I was uh, always really excited. But at that stage when everything was uh, fixed, I didn't, uh, I couldn't uh, know that the investment between Red Bull and Toro Rosso would have been drastically different because obviously it was definitely a team B. So with maybe one one fourth of the investment, uh, that's why the team obviously always have been uh, a kind of a second class. Sometimes uh, going really fast because they have a really amazing structure, especially now. But uh, at that time it was a a second choice in a way. So, but it was good for my starting experience. As I said, I had many situations where I should have stepped up uh, in the Red Bull seat. But then uh, the more the team grows, I, I, I mean in results, and I'm talking about Red Bull or even Toro Rosso, and the more politics comes into a team. It happened also in the Force India, in all the teams that basically they start from zero and they start growing. When the result comes, more money comes into the team and more politics arrives. And in that, I was always pretty weak. Uh, I was never really well supported. Uh, and uh, that's why, at the end, I always lost my seat uh, when the, the, the right moment was, uh, was to come. But 
is always uh, about sliding doors. I said I had a lot of sliding doors in sliding doors in my career, and unfortunately, I always uh, choose the potentially not the best one. <laughs> but I cannot complain. Obviously, I'm happy about my career, but I think we could have achieved a lot more. When that rideshare scenario came along, John, for 2005, were you pretty surprised that that was something that Red Bull plumped for? Because it's something that we've seen occasionally in F1 history. I think uh, Martin Brundle and Aguri Suzuki in 1995 at Ligier comes to mind as another example. But was it something that you thought, well, that's clearly not going to work from the outset? Yeah, but I, th- I think it came at a time where, where Red Bull was finding its way in Formula One, that it was... The Red Bull we know now is very different from the, the Red Bull F1 team that it was then. It was trying to work out what is its place in Formula 1? How can we make this into a, a championship winning team? Um, I think Tony can probably bear this out. At that time, they wanted to be known as a, a party team. And, you know, to be a team that has fun, it's going to change Formula 1. It's going to do things differently, which doesn't work in Formula 1 because you can't be a, a party team and have tons of fun and be successful. You need to be professional you need to be absolutely on it you need to, all those marginal gains so I think when this when this opportunity came up to buy Minardi um, it gave Red Bull a, a bit of their they could shape their own Formula 1 future they weren't reliant on you know they had a problem with Tony because they had a very very talented driver no space to put him in the main team at that point they weren't really sure where they were going or what they could do um, became too politically complicated to try to buy a seat elsewhere and if you buy a seat elsewhere you're at the beck and call of another team Red Bull does, wants to do things for itself this is what Dietrich Matschitz always does we do things by ourselves we have our own Formula 1 team and that's where the Toros opportunity came up which at the time you know was was the right solution and it it probably ultimately still is because it still bought through the, the youngsters that have delivered an awful lot for Red Bull in Formula 1 Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's probably worth saying at this point that um, the Red Bull team had hired David Coulthard at the start of 2005 as the experienced name to lead the team that um, that Tony and Christian were, were going to be alongside. How was he as a first teammate to have in Formula 1, Tony? Because you, you, you had quite a lot of, um, shall we say, varying experience of teammates in your career because you went from Coulthard, who was at that point in his 10th season in Formula 1, to then Scott Speed, a rookie, after that, Sebastian Vettel, I wonder what happened to him, also came in as a rookie. Um, Adrian Sutil as well afterwards. And then Lorraine Carthikeyan, who was coming back after many years out of Formula 1. So how was DC as a, as a teammate to, to start off with? And, and how did he compare with uh, teammates that you had afterwards? And also Daniel Ricciardo at the hand. <laughs> so I had uh, quite uh, quite con- in HRT, yeah. So when he started, uh, and actually that was... Obviously, because uh, Dr. Marco put him beside me because he knew my speed and they wanted him to, to be uh, uh, under exam. <laughs> but uh, uh, joke apart, uh, David, I have to say, was uh, uh, an amazing character. Uh, he's a great person because I, I came along really well with him. And he teached me a lot because uh, you have to learn a lot from a driver with his experience, uh, with his uh, also speed. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, what uh, I should have learned a lot more uh, was from his uh, way of dealing uh, in, uh, with the boss. Uh, I always call it politically, but uh, you know he, he was a, a really great uh, marketing man because David uh, he knows uh, always really well uh, how to talk, when to talk, and what to say. And uh, this is something that uh, uh, I was uh, always kind of weak because I always uh, say what I thought, uh, you know, for me always uh, white is white and black is black and uh, sometimes when I was in Force India they used to tell me that I was uh, too realistic, uh, so uh, something that I was uh, freaking out because I was saying, what, what do you mean uh, too realistic? I, I'm, I can understand if I was pessimistic but uh, not uh, realistic and uh, sometimes, you know, team or, or team manager or team principal, they like to listen 
uh, what they want to hear. Uh, and I have to say, in this, uh, David was uh, always an amazing uh, uh, person. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't learn enough in that, and that's why my Red Bull uh, history ended up uh, after uh, three years of Formula One. But uh, it's been a great time with David. I'm still in contact with him, and as I said, he's a good, uh, uh, a good person uh, to to. Uh, from who to learn, I, I mean, uh, to have as a teammate. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, really good in politics. Uh, also, a, good, a great driver, an, amer- an amazing character. But uh, this is what I was missing in my career, and I should have learned a lot more from him. Now, you didn't get to do your first um, Italian Grand Prix. As you, as you mentioned, you, you had the, the San Marino Grand Prix as, as your debut, but you didn't get to race at Monza in 2005. You did in 2006 with the new sister team, Toro Rosso, um, which, as you mentioned, was, was in transition from from Minardi its previous identity that year and it's an interesting quirk because Toro Rosso in 2006 was the last team to race a a V10 engine in Formula One Um, you'd think that on paper that would give you an advantage racing a V10 against a a field of V8s but of course the um, the the engines were actually pegged back on performance so that they couldn't beat the um, the engines the newer engines from the other teams and of course, the size of it, the sheer size of the V10, also compromised the aerodynamics. So um, you never managed to qualify higher than 12th, and then you got the one point at Indianapolis. Um, what are your memories from that first year of Formula One and your your first um, race experience at Monza? Because um, a, a team in transition, where you were with a rookie teammate, um, probably a bit of a no-win situation, really, where you couldn't accurately benchmark against yourself against anybody else with a, a completely different engine package as well. Yes, definitely it was a difficult year, obviously, because uh, we had uh, uh, a kind of an unknown, an unexpected car, because obviously uh, on paper our car uh, had a really great engine, but with the restriction we had on the hair scoop uh, and uh, in revs, because uh, we were uh, revving up maximum on 14,000 revs, uh, basically the performance were uh, pretty weak. We had uh, quite a decent tor- torque uh, uh, bottom middle of the acceleration, but then uh, it basically we were not revving up and that's why the, we had not uh, uh, top power uh, and it was not paying off. We, we hoped it was a good solution for the season, but at the end of the day we realized after a couple of races that uh, unfortunately it was uh, uh, not a great uh, package, but that was uh, anyway the only w- the only package we could have used for that season because uh, was a, uh, a last minute decision. Uh, basically, when they uh, bought the team, uh, there was no time to fit a V8 engine in that car, uh, so it was a transition uh, year for uh, Toro Rosso. Uh, it was an experience year for the for the team. And I have to say then uh, they worked pretty well on the car uh, of uh, 2007. But uh, Indianapolis was amazing because to score points for a small team that uh, was still uh, a branch of a Minardi uh, package was always amazing because they, they were coming from a team with uh, no budget at all to go uh, with the uh, Red Bull money support was an amazing step up. And I have to say that I love the team because uh, every people were uh, really passionate, unique uh, and really in love with motorsport. Uh, and they were really sleeping and uh, working uh, 24 uh, 7 for uh, putting the car together on track. So it was really amazing to give them the first point. Uh, but then, unfortunately, it was not uh, an amazing package as we thought at the beginning of the year. Now, obviously, Red Bull then signed Mark Webber to partner DC for 2007 when Christian Kleon, um leaves. He's offered a seat in, in Champ Car and turns it down. And so he's replaced for the last few races of 06 by Robert Dornbos, who is the reserve driver. And then Webber comes along for 07. And this view of, of Toro Rosso being the feeder team um, then doesn't transpire. For you, Tonio, was that the kind of the end of your dream of getting to the Red Bull senior team or did you still hold out hope that even though Coulthard and Webber were in the, the senior team if you like that, that you still had a chance further down the road? I think I, uh, until a certain point I always thought I had uh, chances because uh, even though I was in the Toro Rosso uh, team
team uh, I used to make a lot of uh, development for uh, Red Bull Racing and I used to uh, drive in a lot of uh, uh, testing session uh, but I think uh, after uh, my last test in Silverstone where uh, for a problem in the car, basically we destroyed one of the one of the Red Bull cars in Silverstone in Maggots. Uh, after that, I think uh, Adrian Newway lost a little bit of uh, kind of faith on me because uh, until that point uh, we always were talking and dealing uh, in a step in the higher team for the for the future. And after that, I realized that. Uh, everything was more uh, kind of silent <laughs> so uh, i thought that that uh, that test uh, where basically uh, we destroyed one one car uh, was uh, kind of uh, the the how do you say the red card for me in terms of uh, stepping up and uh, after that i always thought that maybe adrian that was the the key part in the red bull uh, team uh, was not a big fan of me somehow even though before he was somehow then he changed his uh, idea and uh, since they signed uh, Mark then they kept going ahead with a different uh, program so it uh, was a shame because uh, I always showed my performance and they always developed the car uh, uh, pretty well and uh, the team was always really happy about uh, my way of uh, testing and developing the car but then was a mix of things between Adrian maybe changing a little bit uh, his idea on me and having uh, in Toro Rosso team Gerard Berger that had uh, his uh, interest elsewhere not on me uh, so basically pushed in the team Burde the year after and during the season he did a lot of uh, let's say unfair things against me that uh, didn't bring me to sign again uh, for 2008 where I had an option so he put me in a, in a really bad situation with, uh, with Red Bull uh, as an external part because uh, at the beginning he was not part of the Red Bull world but he came uh, only in 2007 as a shareholder of Toro Rosso. So he didn't, he didn't push for me at, at all and uh, in a way he screwed my position with uh, Matic. It's uh, using a maybe not correct way of, of uh, politics but... Uh, that's how it is, it's a motorsport. The, the team made a big change halfway through the season in, in ditching Scott Speed and bringing in Sebastian Vettel. How did you find working with, with Vettel in his first season? Because there were, of course, the, the famous moments where he tangled with Weber in, in Fuji, that awful rain race where um, we obviously saw awful conditions recently at Spa, and I'd argue that Fuji 07 was probably worse than that. Um how did you find him in, in his rookie season coming in, joining your team? I have to say that since the beginning, uh, you can you can see uh, uh, how professional Sebastian was. Uh, he grew up with a really strong uh, mentality and really professional uh, attitude. Uh, when he came into the team, uh, there was a lot of vibe around him to, and everybody was sure that he would have been one of the upcoming star, rising star that would have made a, a good career because uh, there was uh, Schumacher pushing uh, behind him. He had BMW, Red Bull uh, really uh, pushing for him. So there was a lot of vibe behind Sebastian. Uh, and when he came to, to, to Toro Rosso for the second part of the season in 2007, I have to say that he showed good performance. I was not... Uh, uh, really impressed about his uh, speed on the on the lap because he was okay but nothing unbeatable but uh, uh, he was definitely amazing in the attitude of uh, preparing the race uh, working with the team uh, creating a, a great a good group of guys working for him and optimizing everything in the race in strategy in uh, last minute decision in a lot of things it was really amazing uh, and that's why he managed to achieve also uh, great result uh, with the Toro Rosso because uh, even in China when he finished before in front of me uh, in qualifier was uh, P11 and I think he was P17 or 18 and went much faster but then in the race he optimized the right time for the uh, pit stop strategy so he ended up with a single stop strategy and I had to do if I'm not wrong three stops and he finished P4 and I finished P6 even though he didn't have my same pace and same in Fuji where <laughs> we had another situation uh, pretty similar where he, he was uh, 
P3, I think, in the uh, safety car, and then he ended up uh, crashing with Weber. And, and me, I started last from the box, and I finished uh, P8 with an amazing pace in the race, but nobody realized these things. But anyway, he was always amazing in uh, optimizing uh, all his tools, uh, all his uh, uh, possibilities. And this is something, I think, uh, made him an amazing champion. Because in terms of speed, I think he was uh, okay, for sure a great driver, a fast one, but nothing unbeatable. But uh, the package overall was, uh, from the beginning, pretty showed. And at that point, as you mentioned, you, you were facing the exit door at Toro Rosso from mid-season, and you ended up becoming the, the test and reserve driver for Force India in 2008. Were there any other options for you to stay on the grid for, for that season, or were you clear that it was going to be a reserve role? In the in the grid, uh, if I uh, uh, don't remember properly, I, uh, as a race driver, no. Uh, Red Bull offered me a, a test driver seat. Dr. Marta actually asked me to uh, to move from Red from Toro Rosso to the third driver seat uh, in Red Bull, basically to stay in the Red Bull family. Uh, but because uh, I was. Uh, really uh, pissed off with all the situation with Berger uh, and you know the the loss of uh, faith from Red Bull on me due to the way Berger was uh, putting me in that situation uh, I know I know it's pretty difficult to understand maybe but was a lot of politics in that uh, period in Red Bull and I, I always hated politics so I decided to step out of the of the Red Bull family unfortunately because as I said before I always feel uh, it was my family I think if there was not Gerard in uh, in the in the package, I would have stayed there much longer. But anyway, uh, for Cindy, I came uh, with an offer already with a four-year contract, basically straight away, where it was uh, two two years of test driver and two years of a race driver, and that's why I decided to uh, to take a completely different direction. Uh, I, I signed with uh, Mr. Malia straight away. It was a four-year deal, and because I was sure to be back in a race seat uh, after a couple of years, I decided to take that direction. So I don't know if it was the right choice, but I enjoyed also the time with Force India. Still, like before, until politics arrives, uh, but this is part of the game. <laughs> It must be said, you, you didn't get to do a whole lot of testing at the start because that was probably one of the worst times to sign as a test driver in Formula 1 and up until that point it was virtually unrestricted testing and then suddenly a, a huge reduction. But then as we mentioned, you, you got the, the chance in 2009 to come back from Monza, which everybody remembers because Suter was on the front row after Fisichella had had pole at Spa. You had more fuel, as you said. Do you think the podium was on that day? Because the 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 way you'd progressed up the order as as the pit stop shook themselves out, uh, and as we know on the the last lap there was a, a crash for Lewis Hamilton, which sort of came out of contention. Are you confident that had things played out, that would have been your day? Definitely, yes. That was one of the few occasions where I could have definitely ended up on the podium, like it happened with Toro Rosso in Canada a few years before. But this was definitely the the strongest, uh, maybe, uh, uh, race where I could, uh, where I should have uh, ended up on the podium. And unfortunately, we broke the gearbox. I think seventeen laps uh, to go, uh, if I'm not uh, wrong. But uh, it was a really big shame because my pace was really good, and from uh, the statistic that the team made uh, after the race, we should have ended up uh, between P2 and P3, so a definite podium. Uh, also because I had already made my, my uh, pit stop, so it was already uh, basically dragging until the end, and my pace uh, was uh, really good. But as I said before, these things happened, you know, I think I always have been at the right place in the wrong moment. Uh, and there are a lot of sliding doors uh, with luck or unluck in, uh, in career. I had uh, four or five occasions where I should have finished on the podium that didn't really play for me uh, in the right direction. But yeah, for sure, the podium in Monza could have changed my career because uh, sometimes uh, in Formula One, even if you are P4, from P4 until last, you're always one of the many. But when you end up in the podium, then uh, things change in the perspective uh, of uh, uh, team members and uh, people of the paddock. So it was a shame uh, that uh, we didn't achieve it. Uh, but yeah, Monza definitely was one of the greatest occasions and possibilities. 
John, if we can bring you in, in on this, I mean, it's not that often that drivers get to have a second chance in Formula One, where normally once they lose a race seat, that tends to be it. Do you think that had Tonya got on the podium that day, it would have changed completely the complexion of his career? I think Tonio is right with this sliding doors comparison. I think that there are many elements to Tonio's career where, you know, one good result on the right day would have would have changed an awful lot. I think, you know, that that first outing at Imola. I think you overtook. Is it correct? You overtook Michael Schumacher twice on the opening lap. Correct. Correct. Um, one at yeah. Tosen, one at uh, Piratello. <laughs> so and then to score points. I mean, it was unfortunate. It came in a season where he only did a few races, so you couldn't build the you couldn't build the momentum up. Uh, it was impossible to kind of get the headline results. And in, in Formula One, if you're not racing, you're so quickly forgotten. People just move on and look and are looking elsewhere. And I think the this Red Bull finding its feet in Formula One at the time, not knowing what it was, pushing pushing Tonio to be this party guy that he could be this fun guy, um, you know, appear at all these promotional events and appear that, which then perhaps gave him a reputation that he wasn't taking the racing seriously and wasn't a Michael Schumacher that was completely focused on just racing. Then you go to Toro Rosso, which is a good opportunity. Then you have the V10 engines. Then um, that I think Canada, was it Canada 2008 when you ran over Kubica's debris? And then um, damaged the cut. Seven, sorry. Then um, damaged the, I think picked up some damage. Then you crashed in the wall of champions. And all these, all these little elements and things do matter in a career. And any of these could have, could have turned around and Monza, if he'd been put on the two stop rather than the one stop, qualified on pole position, gets the podium. Suddenly, everything changes. It doesn't take much in Formula One to to change it. And I think Tonio's career is one of those that lots of days, tiny tiniest bit of circumstance. Even if Tonio didn't do anything different, elements outside like strategy or rules or what engine the team was running. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Could have could have made a huge difference and, and, and changed the path afterwards. As we know, then Tonio then stays on with the team for 2010, um, which is a another interesting season when the F duct comes in. The double diffuser is is now commonplace across all the teams. So there's some unique challenges to to drive these these 2010 cars. Tell us about that, Tonio, because having to take, for example, Eau Rouge with one hand off the wheel. To, to activate the F duct is, is probably not a normal thing that you uh, practice doing as you're as you're rising through the ranks, um, learning the the ropes, thinking one day of Formula One. Yes, definitely was a, a weird season because basically we drove uh, the full se- nearly the full season with one end because uh, this uh, F duct system was something uh, really amazing that when it came uh, to our attention after the Bahrain race where everybody realized McLaren was using it, everybody started developing this system because it was uh, really incredible. Uh, and uh, for Cynthia, where I was at, uh, developed in the car, but I think uh, they developed it. Uh, too quickly for their technology. And uh, that was a, a nightmare year for me because I think the car was uh, pretty okay, pretty competitive before they have that introduction. But then after, somehow, the the system in my car was never working. I think we used in 15 races and uh, basically it didn't work uh, around 12 or 13 times in my car for the whole weekend. And uh, I never thought that the team did something on purpose to don't make it work. It was just a really complicated uh, uh, item uh, tool to prepare it in the car that uh, for whatever reason in my car and not in Adrian's car, Sutil car I mean, was, uh, in my car was never working. And sometimes I was like one second off, one and a half seconds off from uh, Adrian. 
in qualify or even in the race. And even what I was telling about the politics, the team was telling me that I couldn't say that the system was not working. So I had to find the kind of words or kind of excuses to explain why I was 10 cases lower on the straight. So this was something that for me really killed me because I was a political situation that I couldn't stand and uh, it was difficult for me to find the words but I'm always a, a team player so I was trying to, to support the team and I always really thought that they never did it uh, on purpose or uh, was a coincidence, uh, coincidence but somehow uh, was a really nightmare for me and driving with that system was always a question mark for example in Turkey I remember in Istanbul in the race the system was always on so basically I had a lot of a lot less downforce in the rear wing for the whole race I, I was driving Istanbul like if I was calling McCree all the race sideways and it was really really difficult but uh, was a tool that we had to use because the difference in the improvement of lap time uh, was huge and uh, but uh, for whatever reason in my car was uh, not working and in fact the highlight of my season was in Montreal where we didn't use it because the, the the downforce was really low in the track and we didn't need to use that and in fact we had a, a really amazing uh, race there but uh, still 2010 was really difficult so from 2010 it's obviously not the season that you would have wanted for, to be your, your first full season back in the car. And as you said, you had a, a four-year contract when you signed with, with Force India. So how did it turn out that, that the team ended up splitting with you at the end of that season and signing Paul DeResta instead? But again, as I said before, that was another political uh, decision. Because, uh, as I said, when the, uh, all the team, I always... Uh, uh, called myself like uh, a team uh, startupper because I was uh, at Red Bull in their first year, Toro Rosso first year, for India first year, HRT second year. So I always developed uh, a lot of teams from scratch when the, where they just want to grow. And uh, when then the, we start achieving results, so there was mo ma much more cam ma money coming into the team. Uh, basically the politics starts and that was the same for Force India because basically we switched from uh, the previous year we switched from Ferrari to Mercedes Paul Di Resta was a Mercedes driver and uh, the 2011 season basically was the first uh, full season of uh, Force India with the curse and basically there was a big uh, money support from Mercedes by putting Paul Di Resta in terms of the uh, power unit uh, plus there was a big link uh, between uh, Bob Fenley, the ex-team uh, principal of uh, Force India and uh, Paul Di Resta. Um, so there were a lot of links uh, that uh, at the end of the day, uh, even though I had uh, uh, another year of contract, it didn't work. Because uh, I have to say until January, the beginning of the season, nearly a few days before the first day, I was confirmed as a race driver. And then uh, suddenly, a uh, few days before going and do the seat fitting in uh, uh, in England, I received an email uh, with uh, uh, with basically the cancellation of the contract and uh, and the commitment. So it was uh, pretty uh, unexpected, especially because uh, they were aware of what happened in 2010, and uh, they were apologizing me for what had happened. That, uh, and that's why I always felt that it was not done on purpose. But then uh, as as I always keep saying, you know, is Formula One is uh, the top of, uh, of motorsport, uh, and uh, when there are a lot of money involved, a lot of politics comes with the, with the business. And you know, I paid off uh, even there the, this political decision. But uh, mm, I don't regret anything. Uh, sometimes I understand uh, the decision made because a lot of teams they need to have uh, money to run until the end of the of the season. So uh, fair enough. Uh, I had to find my own way uh, elsewhere. John, Tonio then joins the HRT team, which we've not seen a team in Formula One like it, a, a really low-budget team that is frankly happy to be there racing on the grid. Just how difficult was that season for, 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 for any driver to come into, let alone uh, a guy in Tonio's position that, that needed to... Um, a, a good season to, to then put his name back in lights to be considered again by one of the midfield teams to then come into that situation was probably not what he needed for his career at that point. 
Yeah, when when those new teams arrived, there was I think there was some hope that there would be a, a more level playing field in Formula One. They were they were enticed in with the pros, originally with the prospect of a you know a cost cap and rules that would allow them to be competitive. So you had you know, the Lotus Caterham team, you had HRT, all of them were and kind of Virgin Russia. They were hopeful of being able to push forwards, um, and there would be you know a solid future. Um, it didn't turn out like that. The rules. You know, the top teams stopped these rule changes. The costs were still just as high. Uh, and I think it became very, very difficult to, for the teams to push forward. And I think if you're a, a racing driver, I think if you're in a car at the back of the grid, it must be, you know, so difficult because A, you, you've got the, the slowest machinery of all anyway. So you're trying to battle against other people without the, a competitive thing. Plus it's so then even more difficult to make an impression. So if you're trying to you know, deliver a star a star performance, the odds are just simply stacked against you. It becomes almost almost impossible to do unless you become super aggressive and take risks. And then when you become super aggressive and take risks, accidents happen and incidents happen and things don't necessarily click. It's not not the the best kind of circle to, to move forwards. So I think um you know, there, you know, still a still a chance you can make an impression. I think it's always better to be if you're a driver with dreams of pushing on in Formula One. I think Tony would agree. It's better to be in Formula One with a chance of doing it than sat on the sidelines. Because I think if Tony had had stopped after Force India, then there would have been would have been no chance after that to come back. Whereas at least if you're racing, there's still always that opportunity and always a chance to to do something and keep racing and and get a get another shot at Formula One. Tony, were you able to stay positive throughout all the travails from not being able to qualify in Australia to scrapping down at the back end of the grid with drivers who were in the last chance saloon um, in in perhaps a similar situation to yourself, all out there to to get big results to to resurrect their career? It's a bit of a dog-eat-dog world down at the back end of the Formula 1 grid. How were you able to, to keep a smile on your face and keep going? I always uh, love to give my 100%. I always felt uh, myself as a really professional driver, so I was always giving the 110% for me and for the team uh, to grow and uh, to achieve the maximum result. Even though we were always uh, fighting uh, in the back end of the field, but it was, I mean, kind of a, a, a second fight between us, Manor, and uh, uh, Lotus Catram uh, that uh, basically was uh, like an internal fight between us uh, to show who was uh, the less slow of the three team. <laughs> so it was uh, definitely a, uh, a really difficult situation because uh, you you never want to fight with a uh, non-competitive uh, car. Uh, but they always gave the 110 uh, percent even in that situation. Uh, as as uh, John was saying before, uh, that was uh, I tried to get the chance. Uh, uh, to be in a transition year and to hope that uh, something else was happening in other teams. And uh, in fact, uh, during the 2011 season, I was negotiating with uh, uh, Lotus uh, Renault because uh, uh, there was this switch. I don't remember if it was uh, Raikkonen to Heidfeld or something like that. And I was re- really close to get that. Uh, that's it. But then they had a sponsor like Total that wanted a French driver, and they ended up taking a Grosjean. But uh, you, when you are so close, you still keep yourself up to speed uh, and in the in the business, so you can be the first choice for uh, other teams. And I try to stay in the business uh, to uh, to give my 110 percent every time. So then it didn't work because uh, even then, uh, also in 2012, basically HRT took a different uh, ownership. Uh, the new owners uh, were uh, wanted to have a full Spanish team and blah blah blah. A lot of other politics situation that didn't work for me, and that's why I, I stepped out completely from the Formula One seat. But I was hoping to get another chance with a good team, uh, and in the meantime, keeping myself fit and ready with HRT. Tony, one of the things I remember from that final season was your helmet at the Brazilian Grand Prix when you had like a, a blackboard helmet with with the chalk on that everyone was drawing stuff on. Do you still uh, do you still have that helmet somewhere? Actually, that helmet I think ended up in uh, Mr. Coles' uh, house because uh, <laughs> he was always a big passionate calling Coles for uh, my helmet. He has uh, one of my Monaco helmet, the Brazilian one. Uh, so he took uh, maybe a few of the best and. Uh, 
but uh, I, I still keep in touch with Colin quite often and uh, sometimes maybe I will steal it back because it was really fun. <laughs> everybody loved it because everybody was passing in the in front of the garage coming and drawing something on my helmet. It was really fun. <laughs> you actually scored the very best result of the HRT team in its three-year existence. We've mentioned Canada a few times and, and your 13th place there while maybe not hitting the headlines very much on a on a day that is best remembered for Jensen Button's perhaps most famous victory. Um, but your 13th place that day was the best result for the team all season and in its entire existence. But unfortunately, what people tend to remember from that year is the Monza race where, as John was mentioning, at the back of the grid, you do have to take risks. And you made an absolutely fantastic start when you watched the, the onboards. You're, you're already ahead of both of the Virgin cars. And you then get put on the grass on the approach to turn one on the inside. And the rest is history as you slide across and, and clatter into the unsuspecting Nico Rosberg and, and Vitaly Petrov. Is that one of the biggest accidents of your career? was uh, definitely one of the scariest because when you lose control in the grass and you know that you have a bunch of cars in front of you and you, you can never know how it ends up. So it was dangerous for me and even for my colleague... Uh, that uh, were basically turning into the first chicane of Monza. But uh, uh, luckily, everything uh, went uh, okay, apart, obviously, of uh, the crash. And uh, you're right, actually. I remember I had an amazing start. And uh, when, you, uh, when you fight in the back uh, end of the grid, is uh, quite rough. <laughs> and I had a really good uh, uh, move from the grid. I passed both uh, Manor and then, uh, when then uh, I was overtaking... Uh, Kovalainen uh, in the inside, but then somehow he starts squeezing me towards the grass, and even the, I was unlucky that the pit exit uh, basically is closing uh, towards the left. So uh, even before realizing, I ended up with the car <laughs> in the in the grass, uh, fully side by side with Kovalainen. And when I tried to touch the brake to slow down and come back in the grass, basically I lost the the, the control of the car, and uh, we all know how we ended. But I was always saying HRT didn't have much grip on the on the tarmac uh, in the grass. It was even worse. So it was really difficult to trying to save it. I didn't do it on purpose, and obviously my teammate, uh, the, my my colleague, uh, they they knew it. It was not done on purpose. It was just a shame because in your home Grand Prix, uh, after a really great start, uh, there was this uh, let's say misunderstanding between me and Kovalainen. Uh, I think we could. I could have maybe risked less. So it could have been a bit more fair. Uh, but as a, this is racing, you know, can happen. Uh, um, but luckily, uh, the race was uh, was ending at the first corner. But everybody was uh, uh, without, uh, how do you say, without pain, without uh, any consequence. Let's say. But yeah, just to remember what you said before about Canada, there were we were. Uh, Basically, remembering the longest race I ever made was something like five hours and was an epic race in a thunderstorm. They stopped the race after half, half an hour. And I remember it was really a massive fight to, to finish that race under that much water. <laughs> so I really remember it was a great challenge. But I used to love this amazing challenge, like Fuji 2007, uh, in the, uh, Montreal uh, in 2011. I think that were mm, the best uh, ever race I made because I always love to drive it without seeing anything when there is too much water. So I would have loved maybe to be in Spa a few weeks ago. The, the end of the 2011 season, of course, was, was your final season in Formula 1, but you are still involved today in Formula 1 as, as part of the FIA stewards panel. Um, and you were there in, in Hungary um, when penalties were dished out for some rather over-enthusiastic first corner moves. Um, tell us how you got started doing steward work, Tonio, and, and what it is that you like about the role, because being a, 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 a the, the policeman sort of figure, I guess, maybe isn't for everybody. Um, obviously, I prefer racing, uh, but uh, I have to say that... Uh, I feel good when I'm uh, in the in the room with my steward, uh, my colleague Stuart, because I think we analyze uh, much deeper uh, all the accident and the, the races. Because I think the driver advisor uh, in the room of the steward is a really important position in Formula One. Obviously, is a proper steward, but uh, an experienced uh, 
driver uh, or an experienced steward in terms of driving uh, in that room is really important, I think, to analyze properly all the situation. And what uh, I like uh, of being there is uh, basically because I've been pretty good friend because I, I, of uh, all the drivers in the field, uh, maybe not the really young ones that are approaching now Formula One, but they all know that they cannot uh, uh, lie with me because I, I know basically what they are trying to do because I've been doing the same when I was uh, a driver. Yeah, when you enter that room uh, with the steward, you're always trying to find excuses uh, to save your position. Uh, but with an experienced driver in the in that room, you don't try to say uh, many uh, lies or basically basically trying to disturb, uh, distort a distortion of the uh, of the analysis. So I, I like that position because uh, keep me involved in a in a world that I love, basically the world of Formula One, and in a position where I have uh, still a good. Uh, uh, relationship and respect with my uh, colleague or ex-colleagues uh, uh, driver and um, I always like to analyze together with them and explain uh, when they get a penalty why they get why they get a penalty and to be uh, basically not happy but uh, understand why uh, they get it I don't I, I like to have this kind of friendship friendship uh, uh, between drivers and steward panels so I think uh, uh, I enjoy that, even though, as I said before, I still prefer racing, but uh, I, I love Formula One, I love that paddock, and uh, uh, I, I'm finding uh, well when I'm there. And this week in Monza, I'm really hoping that it will be a smooth race. Tony, who, uh, just as a, as a final question before we, we sign off today, who, who do you think will win the title this year? It's, it's boiling down to a, a, a classic between uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. Who do you think is going to come out on top? As a FIA steward, I prefer to do an answer, but I have to say that uh, I see Verstappen really, really motivated. Uh, he's a young gun. He's showing an amazing uh, uh, hunger of uh, victory. Uh, Red Bull and Honda have been doing an amazing uh, job during this season, but Mercedes still fight hard uh, with the... Uh, we say with the knife between the teeth uh, to don't give it uh, to Red Bull so easily. So I think it will be a tight fight uh, until the championship, uh, until the end of the championship. Uh, but uh, I prefer as a FIA steward to don't pro pronounce myself, uh, but I have uh, my point of view. But uh, I, I think they are showing uh, an amazing... Uh, uh, championship, an amazing fight. So this is good for the sport. It's good for Formula One. It's good for the fans. And it's amazing to see what we saw in uh, in Holland, uh, where the grandstand were fully orange, and to see the crowd still uh, enjoying and uh, cheering for this sport that is always one of the greatest sport uh, in the world. Before we go, tell us about your kind of new career as a restaurant owner i think since you've uh, i think it's very successful isn't it is it is it good fun is it as stressful and political as formula one uh not as political uh, <laughs> definitely stressful as well but i'm lucky that i have my wife that uh, she's a working machine so when i'm busy at the track she runs really well the uh, the restaurants we have and uh, I have to say that I turned basically the experience that uh, Red Bull uh, made me have in all the parties uh, and events where they throwed me in when I was uh, a Red Bull driver and uh, as you said before when they put me the stamp of uh, party animal uh, <laughs> uh, even though it was not my choice <laughs> but uh, I tried to uh, translate that uh, experience into uh, a second job uh, and uh, I really like it because I always have been really uh, open uh, to people. I always like the contact, the, the talk, uh, and the, uh, let's say the, the connection, the entertainment. And I always had a good relationship, as you, as you all know, inside the paddock with all the people of the, of, of the paddock, uh, mechanics, engineers, uh, team managers, and drivers. So I always uh, like to put people, people together. And I think this is uh, working pretty well also in uh, this business because uh, we are growing uh, is uh, is really uh, uh, fun and satisfying uh, obviously racing and uh, formula one or basically motorsport is still my priority but uh, i'm happy to that i did this choice and uh, it's working pretty well so i'm waiting for all of you guys to come and visit me here in milan 
Well, Tonio, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hopefully having a, a nice, calm Italian Grand Prix for you that doesn't involve too many meetings with the stewards. We thank you very much for joining us and make sure you listen in to the next Autosport podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. However you want to make a splash this year, Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds can help every step of the way. Wool Runner Mizzles are shoes crafted with premium supernatural weather repellent materials. The high top uppers are moisture wicking merino wool with puddle guard technology. And the supernatural rubber treads ensure all weather traction so you can jump into anything, rain or shine. Make a splash with Wool Runner Mizzles from Allbirds. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.